Welcome to the Kayla Ambrose Show. I'm your host and your travel guide to the other side, Kayla Ambrose. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, to find out more about me, whether uh, it's any of the things I do that you're interested in, I'm an award-winning author of six books, including The Awakened Aura, The Awakened Psychic, The Awakened Dreamer, Nine Life-Altering Lessons, Spirits of New Orleans, Ghost Hunting North Carolina, Lots of books if you're interested. I My website is exploreyourspirit.com and I have lots of online courses on there. Wisdom School, Aura School, Psychic School, Wise Women. Uh, I'm getting ready to have a new one, Akashic Records School. Lots of online courses if you're interested. You can also book private consultations with me. I do intuitive readings telling you um, what's going on with you and your aura and what's coming for you in the future, along with coaching, intuitive coaching, helping you to get to the deepest part of your soul, to find out who you are and why you're here, and to help you get there. I also do intuitive interior design and help people and places find their best color and energy and sources to feel fantastic, to create homes into sanctuaries and businesses into place that make people feel happy and excited and and welcome and wanting to be there and to linger when it's important to do so. I love to talk about color and energy in that way and by seeing the aura and chakras and how they're blasting energy outward from each person and how places hold this energy and replicate it back and what you can do to magnify that energy and at other times to subdue it when needed. There's so much to that, and I cover all these things and more at my website, exploreyourspirit.com. While you're there, sign up for my free newsletter so we can stay in touch no matter what changes on social media companies. If we have each other's email and you can get my newsletter, you can always keep up with me and what's going on. And of course, I share new information about all my work and upcoming podcasts too. Okay, let's get on with the show. Today, I want to talk about emotional intelligence. And to do this, you talk about emotions. And this is a tenet of mystery school teachings. I should have said probably out of all the things I just listed that I do, my most passionate is the one that I started and began with, that I've done for many lifetimes to continue to do. And that is I'm an esoteric wisdom teacher. I teach the ancient mystery school teachings from ancient Greece and Egypt and even further back. This is what I was born to do and this is what I do. Not as many people want to study this because it's hard. You have to really take a tough look at yourself and be willing to go there and introspect and do introspection and self-observation and have really tough questions asked about yourself when you're an ego, when you're deluding yourself when you're caught up trying to be like everyone else and not in good self-esteem not in good self-awareness you have to really face those things why you're not self-confident what's holding you back what are you scared of and as a teacher I walk this with you I walk through it and help you see what needs to be seen so that you can clear these things and live your best life not afraid of other people anymore or situations, not trying to be like someone else, but rather 
becoming your true self as you were meant to, to evolve in this lifetime. And so these are my favorite things to teach with, with students. And when we talk about emotional intelligence and emotions, this is one of the, the teachings that have always been part of the wisdom teachings, which is having control of your emotions. Now, when my teacher taught it to me, I've studied in three different mystery schools, and the last one was with him, and he was from an order in Greece. And how he would describe it to me is the cart and the horse. And he would say, the cart is your body, and you're the person sitting in the cart with your reins on the horse. And that part of you is your mind and your conscious self. And the horse is your emotions. And when your emotions get out of control and the horse is running out of control, it's a danger to everyone. And you're a danger to other people that might be around. And it's a danger to you that you might fall off the cart or the cart might get smashed or horse might overthrow you. Anything can happen. So you're holding the reins, trying to calm the emotions down. But if you don't have a good command of how to do that, your emotions are stronger and they run wild. Just like if you don't really know what you're doing with the horse, you might be there holding the reins or yelling at it or trying to stop it. But if the horse is really upset and it doesn't have a good partnership with you and knows to listen to you, it's going to continue to run and cause a problem for everyone. And the cart, which is your body, is just getting bounced around and torn up every time the horse is out of control, uh, possibly getting injured, needing repairs, or getting smashed up worse, if not if not help. So it's a good of analogy as any to describe what goes on between your body, your mind, and your emotions. So the other day I was talking with a good friend of mine, and she's a teacher, and she does social-emotional learning. And if you haven't heard of it, some people will shorten and call it SEL. It's in the classrooms now. It's attempting to teach children how to deal with their emotions and how to deal with problems in this way. It's said now, as tough as things are in the world, that dealing with your emotions is more important than almost any other skill you can learn. With emotional intelligence, which is kind of the birthplace of social-emotional learning. It focuses on self-awareness and being able to, like I said, introspect and find your own self-confidence. It works on self-management, having to have that awareness again, but also that control of your emotions and to be adaptable. It focuses on social awareness, which is having empathy. We've seen empathy kind of disappear uh, with the younger generations in more recent times. That they're not uh, as aware and connecting in that way. It also means things like being aware of other people, being aware of what they call reading the room, taking the temperature, what's going on. It's as simple as being a good listener, really. And there's relationship management, which is if you're a leader, are you a positive leader? And the sense are, are you inspirational? Do you rally everyone to work together and to do their best? Instead of being a bullying type of leader, just shouting out orders and expecting people to jump. Do you encourage collaboration? Do you help people understand the good part of changes? Is your influence used for good? Are you more of a coach type of leader? 
a mentor, someone who's walked there and now is turning around to help others to take the same steps and to learn and to grow in that way. And that's kind of what SEL uh, and emotional intelligence is trying to help. First of all, to help the person individually. You can't really share and teach what you don't know. So unless you're emotionally healthy, it would really be difficult to fully teach another how to be emotionally healthy. You could teach the specifics of it, the definitions of it, but as we all know, actions speak louder than words. So if you're not embodying it, and if it's not coming out of you energetically, people are going to see through it pretty quickly and see that you're not a true uh, aficionado, not a true expert in it, because you haven't received that emotional, uh, healthy balance within you. So it's very important in any of this type of work to be able to walk your talk. And I've always tried to do that with students. They've seen me go through so many things in my life and they watch me walk out on the other side. And so not only do I endure things to go through them, I work through my emotions with it. I release and heal. And then I go on to share with others and to help them be able to grow through, uh, recover and heal from things that they've experienced. Emotional intelligence is so important and only going to get more important as we continue to expand and evolve. I think this all tracks back to psychic ability, though. And so you might be asking Kayla, how do you see that? Well, I think intuition is tied to emotional intelligence. Empaths are extremely psychic and intuitive, and they can really read things very well emotionally. I think we all have intuition, and part of intuition is be able, being able to see into people, to read the room, like I said, to take the temperature of the room. And that's part of your intuition that picks up. It's that side of the brain. It's opening up and, and seeing what's going on. It's just a step further than just being emotionally aware. Your intuition will help you see and feel things that aren't necessarily apparent to everyone else in the room. So our intuition helps very much with this. And if you're good at social, emotional learning and emotional intelligence on your own without ever being shown, there's a good chance you're very intuitive and possibly an empath as well. A lot of psychologists that have been studying these principles of emotional intelligence are saying that they believe now it's more important than your IQ. They call it your EI or your EQ, emotional intelligence or emotional quotient. And they believe this is going to serve people more in the future than actually their IQ. Because leaders need to use emotional intelligence first to better understand themselves and then to understand everyone who works for them. Uh, and that's how you really connect people as a team. It helps you to understand and interact with other people and then to find ways to work with them according to what they need. And this sets the tone for you as a leader. We've all seen this, movies made about this, people who complain about it. Um, I think for a couple of decades now, with polls that are taken, showing why do people leave a job, the number one reason is usually a bad boss. People will take a lot, even make less, have less, work in tough conditions. If they feel understood, if they feel 
they're part of something that's important and they have a boss who appreciates them and makes them feel seen, they will, they will do a lot above and beyond for no other reason but that. And more people will quit even when more money is offered to them, more of everything. If they have a bad boss, they will not stay. They will quit. And finally, corporations are starting to realize this, that bosses who lack emotional intelligence, they really have trouble relating or understanding people. And so that leads to the turnover. And if they're not able to really connect emotionally, they are no longer going to get uh, promoted in the same way. It's easy to get someone that could usually do almost any skill that you're looking for, but someone who can understand intuitively, emotionally what people need is rare and it shouldn't be. People should be taught this. And this is why it's being addressed now in schools, because this is how um, things will change in the future. And it's not just understanding what others uh, are feeling emotionally. Like I said in the beginning, it starts with the person themselves. So if you have a boss, a leader who isn't emotionally intelligent, who can't even identify with themselves or their own emotions and can't connect and can't emote well, they're not going to be able to do that with other people. So they're not really suitable for, for leadership. They'll never really make it very far in their career. So it's becoming part of corporate culture now. It starts out with really simple things to do to get a hold of your emotions. Some of those are things you've probably heard a long time ago, like count to 10 before you speak. That was one, probably one of the original teachings of how to control your emotions was simply just to slow down and count to 10. Another one is to take a deep breath or even three or four deep breaths. In and out, stop what you're doing, take those deep breaths in and out. It's amazing, but it's very hard to stay angry when you're taking a deep breath in and out. Try it right now. Take a deep breath in and then hold it for two, three, and take a deep breath out. Relaxing your body. Take another deep breath in, deep, deep. Pulling that breath in, hold it, hold, and now breathe out, exhale. Do this for three or four times and, and watch your body. It is hard to breathe deeply and keep anger within. Anger has to come out in little huffs, ha, 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 little short breaths. Anger has to come out in that way. That's the energy of anger. That's what I see in the aura. When someone's angry, their aura gets spiky and it's like, ha, ha, ha. It's like poking. It's poking at the other person. Sharp like porcupine quills or something like that. When you're in a flowing state of energy where ideas come to you, where people want to engage with you, you're in that flow of a deep breath. Feels very different physically, emotionally, basically in, in every way you can imagine. When you have good EQ, when you have a high EQ, when you're emotionally intelligent, you're not impulsive and you're not hasty. You think about things and you absorb them. And that also means not just thinking before you do, but feeling before you do. You let all the emotions wash over you and through you. 
and then you are able to identify them. Am I reacting this way or thinking this way because I'm scared? Am I nervous? Am I afraid of change? Am I insecure? Uh, do I have trauma? And this is a reaction to the trauma? Am I afraid of what others will see? Am I unsure of who and what I am? This is usually where we get triggered. And so when we have emotional intelligence, we're able to recognize this because we're all human and we're going to have emotions. But the thing is, we can learn to better control them so they don't overtake us. Instead, we experience them. And as I teach my students in class, to picture their aura like a colander, just like a colander when you pour pasta in, the water comes through the little holes. Picture your aura at that moment when you're hit by something emotionally like a colander. So you're feeling the emotions, but then you let them drain right through the holes and leave your body. And then once you let that big splash of emotion wash through you, you can then filter down and then ask yourself those questions. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I panicked about this or anxious or stepping into fear? Or why am I excited about this? Why am I really wanting to do this? What is this telling me about myself and what motivates me and makes me passionate? When you take this down, you're able to shift a little bit. You're able to be in the energy, but you've shifted the energy so it's not overwhelming. And this allows you to better communicate and better connect within yourself if it's something that's happening to you directly or with others when you walk into that highly charged emotional scene that may be going on between two or more people in an argument but you're able to kind of bring the energy down people that have good emotional intelligence we're usually very attracted to we're drawn to it's a magnetic energy it's because they're comfortable they're at ease with themselves they have good self-esteem good self-confidence <laughs> um, it's like it's like they can read the room with psychic ability but not not all of them would call themselves psychic but they are intuitive and that's because I believe that you know scientists talk about how little of the brain we use I don't remember the percentage but it's very small very very small of the amount of brain that we use versus how much ability we have to and I believe that psychic ability is part of that brain power that only certain people have learned to tap into. And those that have that come back with that, it makes it seem like it's some type of superhuman ability, some type of woo-woo magical ability. But it's just using a part of the brain that, uh, that some people don't have access to yet or don't know how to access. And it's tied to the part of the brain that also has to do with emotions and creativity. This is why a lot of people who are more emotional and creative are able to tap into their intuition and their telepathy and their empathy much greater than those who stay more in the logical side of the brain and can only believe, process, and understand what they see directly in front of them. Sometimes it's a more scientific, data-oriented type mind, like this plus this must equal this or nothing else can be. And there's no sense of understanding that there's so many other equations that are possible. And sometimes when you get caught in that belief, 
uh, that you think it's only black and white, it can only be this one thing, your mind is not open to see how many other possibilities there are. The more creative, the more emotionally intelligent a person is, the more they're able to see that there are hundreds, sometimes thousands of patterns and abilities and directions that any problem, situation, question, thought in life can go. The more that side of the brain is used, the more creative that person becomes, the more in touch with their emotions they become, the more emotionally intelligent they come. And the next step from that is to open up into psychic ability and to be more intuitive and more psychic. It's triggered in that part of the brain. And hopefully in not too much longer over time now, people will really understand this and that it, intuition is part of just exercising that part of the brain and opening up more of your mind. And this is why, unfortunately, people who try to study this to get data are the ones who rarely believe in psychic ability and also don't have a lot of emotional intelligence. They're very disconnected from their emotions and actually uncomfortable with emotions usually in themselves and around other people. So it's almost like they put blinders on where they literally can't see it because they're operating in just one small part of their brain. So it's like speaking a foreign language to them. They can't process it because they themselves are not experiencing it because they've either blocked that whole side of their brain off or they're unwilling to put down the blockages that were created there for some reason in order to feel. And the more they block it, the more overwhelming emotions feel for them. And so the less they're able to do uh, to connect with that and to, to get through that first which would probably feel like a tsunami of emotions to ride through those waves to then get to a point where they could be in control of their emotions. So instead, they try to block them, which causes disease in the body and dysfunction. And they end up just occasionally emoting with anger. It's the only, When it builds up, it becomes like a volcanic burst when it finally comes out in anger because they don't really know how to handle their emotions there emotionally illiterate for want of a better word in that sense so we can all learn to be more emotionally intelligent and it starts by identifying your emotions and then understanding them like I said being able to introspect and self-observe and stop yourself when you're feeling those emotions and say why am I feeling this emotion is it fear is it jealousy is it a sense of feeling out of control what's causing this emotion this is where we're evolving. This is where we're going. In short, it's also the ability to see love. The more emotionally intelligent we are, the more we're able to see love within ourselves, to see it in others, and eventually to love everyone. To be able to see and accept people as they are, where they are, and to find the love. I call this seeing love through the chakras because we're able to see kind of the evolution of each person and where they're able to emote and love and feel through the range of their chakras. And so how you see love depends on where you're looking, through which chakra is activated for you. This really defines where you are in your evolution. If you're stuck in your first chakra, which is fear and flight, and needing to feel grounded, and that's where you spend most of your time in that chakra, you're going to see love in a very different way than someone in their higher chakras, you're going to be a little more possessive. You're going to be a little more 
jealous. You're going to see love as someone who will provide for you in a certain way that will make you feel safe. And safety will be so important and you'll want to ground in that way. So you will attach to anyone, anyone who gives you that perception, whether they're good or not. You're in such a fear place in the first chakra that anyone who makes you feel safe for a moment, you will stay with them before even looking to see if it's the right person. And you don't grow a lot because you stay in that fear mode at that place. If you're attaching love through the second chakra, which is the sexual chakra, you're going to attach it through how that person makes you feel intimately. And if that person's a good sexual partner. And if you connect that way, that's where your emotions will stay as well. So if that one part of your relationship is stays intense and, and active, then you're going to see love through that way. And that's what your emotional talents intelligence will be. If that's good, then you think everything else is good. And so those are the type of people who don't know how to communicate and work out their problems in other ways. They're the ones who talk most about makeup sex because they let things fester between them and their relationship. They don't know how to communicate with each other or talk it out. They don't know how to help each other or get to each other. All they can do is let it build up and build up till one of them fights and all that built up, pent up energy explodes between the two of them. And then they make up in that way back in the second chakra and that holds them off a little bit longer till they go again. In the third chakra, it's all about willpower. And this is where a lot of those bad bosses come from. They're insecure about my will, my am I getting respected? Does someone listen to me or not? And I will do whatever. I will bully. I will yell. I will be aggressive. I will do whatever to make sure someone listens to me and is obeying me. So you get a lot of abusive bullying types coming through that chakra. And that's where their emotional intelligence is coming from, which is really blocked in the lower three chakras. It's saying, I have to do this. I have to get aggressive and get loud and to do these things in order to be um, heard and what they think is respect respected. But really, it's all not emotionally intelligent at all. But it's where a lot of people are stuck. Here in these descriptions, you may recognize some people you know that are living in this right now. And then as you go through the heart chakra, then you begin to really open up emotionally. And that's the journey through opening the heart chakra to feel empathy and love and love for all others, not just one person. You're not attached to just... This one person who's your everything, you begin to love everyone in your life. And that expands out to loving other people uh, that you don't even know, but they're here trying their best and you love them just for doing that. And at that point is when you really begin to connect with emotional intelligence and empathy and all the other things that SEL is trying to teach. And so SEL focuses on helping when you feel those fear and anger and pent-up emotions that are all 
happening through the ego, which is in the lower three chakras. And it wants you to act out and it feel, makes you feel like there's not enough or it's not good enough or you're not good enough. The ego plays with your mind and tells you all those things. And that's what social emotional learning is trying to help people do is to work through their bottom three chakras and get up into the heart chakra. And so I love when I talk to my friend about social emotional learning and she tells me what she's doing in the classroom with the children. And I was thinking about the other day and I was like, what she's really asking when she asks the questions that they do in the classroom. And I don't know if she knows this, but the questions are the ancient esoteric wisdom teachings. She asked a question the other day. She talked to me about it and I shared it with some of my students too, because I thought it was so good. And her questions were, what do I love about me? And you can, you can ask yourself that as well. What do you love about you? And her second question was, what do others see in me that they love? So I asked some students and to get their feedback about that. And so what you're really asking when you're doing that, it is an ancient wisdom teaching. When you say, what do I love about me? You're asking the age-old question, who am I? You're trying to understand yourself at a soul level. And when you're asking the other question, what do others see in me that they love? You're asking the ancient esoteric wisdom teaching, why am I here? What's my purpose? So if you can answer these two questions in either forum, you'll begin to get somewhere with emotional intelligence. I would add one other question to that from me, which is, what would your mom say about you? How would your mom describe you? Now, this is interesting because we've been living in a very patriarchal time and the divine feminine has been really oppressed for a long time. And we see it struggling to awaken and to fight for equality and for emotional intelligence to help everyone to see it and to help with women's rights and a return to equality. So regardless of the relationship you have with your mother, think about what she said to you, things that stuck with you, what she said about you, whether it was good or bad. Because what other people say about you is what they see within themselves as well. So your mom may have been maybe in her best self and saw the best in you. Or she may have been in one of those lower three chakras struggling with her own stuff. And so she may have said things about you that you didn't like. And maybe that was because she was struggling with those things herself. Or she was wishing she could be those things that she wasn't able to do. I know, for example, one thing my mom would say to me was, who do you think you are? And it wasn't in a flattering way. <laughs> she would just say, who do you think you are, Miss Astor? Talking about the Astors, like the Vanderbilts and all those families. I came back in this lifetime remembering past lifetimes. And I remembered living a certain way and having silver tea service and all these things. So as a child, I'd be looking for those things. Like, where's my cup and saucer and my silver tea service? And things that I just remembered so frequently from my most recent past life. And so I was still looking for them. Like, why isn't this here? 
it wasn't a snobby thing for me. It was just I really was wondering where these items were because they were part of my daily life. And she took it to be a snobby thing. And she would say, who do you think you are, Miss Astor? And the thing is, as I grew, as I got older and older, you know, as a child and into my adulthood, I've always been very much who I am. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I remember my past lives. I know what my purpose is to do. I uh, feel good about myself. I have good self-esteem, self-confidence, and I'm unabashedly myself. I am me. This is who I am. I love myself, and I'm comfortable putting myself out there. And so I realized as I got older and was able to do this as an adult that that was really hard for her. She had always struggled with shyness and not feeling that she was good enough and unable to be at ease with herself. And so it was hard for her, I think, to see me who came back that way so self-assured and self-confident, even as a child, that I am who I am and I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And she really struggled with that, with some, I think, jealousy of her own for that. And so I understand that as an adult, you know, why she felt that way and why she struggled with it. And I'm sorry that she did. So it's interesting. You can go back and think about these things when you're working on your own emotional intelligence and growth and see what others have said. And if it affected you, then think about it and resolve not to let it affect you. Resolve to see that it's part of what that person was going through or part of what they're missing or wish they have that was coming out in that way. When a person isn't able to do something, part of what they try to talk themselves into is that they wouldn't want to be that way anyway and that it's not good and it's okay that they don't have that because maybe it's not a good thing to be. So because she had never felt comfortable doing that within herself, she had tried to have that self-talk herself that maybe that wasn't good. Maybe people who are that self-confident, you know, or that self-assured, maybe they're not good people. And we all can use examples like this to see where we may have talked ourselves into that. A lot of people I know when I'm teaching them about uh, prosperity and abundance, they'll say, well, my family always tried to convince me that people that had money weren't good people and they didn't do good things and they're bad. And that was a way for them to make themselves feel better about not having prosperity of their own. And that's not true. You can have prosperity and still be the person you are, still be a good person. But sometimes people give themselves this self-talk to make themselves feel better. And in that case with my mother, I think she had given herself that self-talk for a long time. If she thought too much of herself, that she, that would make her snobby or not a good person. But yet here she is with this little kid who <laughs> is acting this way since they're like four years old and and uh, just self-confident, just being myself, you know. I'm not that kind of person. It's not about anyone else. It's just about me being me. I've just always, no matter what else, the most important thing to me was to be true to myself and uh, to live my life how I wanted to live it, regardless of what other people might think. I wasn't going to be controlled by others or I never succumbed to peer pressure or thinking, oh my gosh, I have to dress this way because everyone else is dressing this way. It's a trend. I've always tried to cultivate my own style. I've always looked up to Coco Chanel for that. And I did that my whole life, even in my teen years. 
Uh, I've never tried to look the same or act the same or blend in or have the same thoughts or fit in. I wanted to be myself, whatever that was. And I was willing to accept whatever came with that. If some people didn't like it, if if some people didn't want to be my friend, if some people didn't want to be seen around me, whatever it was, being true to myself has always been more important. And so I've stayed true to myself in relationships, friendships, family, everything, because I think that's important, not just for me, but for everyone. And I like to teach and be walk my talk. And so I encourage you to do this as well on your road to emotional intelligence and social emotional learning. And if you hadn't heard much about this, I encourage you to go research it. Start to think about it because it's going to affect your careers. It's going to be taught to your children. And the sooner you can become more emotionally intelligent, the faster your intuition, if you're interested in that, is going to evolve as well. It is the future. All right. Well, that's me. Another podcast has come and gone. Come check me out, exploreyourspirit.com. I'll see you soon. Take care.